Well, greetings to all our brethren, those who are online and around the world here in Charlotte. We're enjoying some just beautiful uh, flowers. The uh, crepe myrtle trees are just flowering all over the city and are just absolutely beautiful with many, many different colors. And it reminds us, of course, that just in seven weeks we'll be observing the Feast of Trumpets. And uh, that's, uh, of course, an exciting and very special uh, festival, annual festival. And it uh, teaches us again that it has to do with our whole human potential, the very purpose of our being. Uh, because when that seventh trumpet sounds, uh, we will be changed from mortal to immortal and put on a glorified, immortalized state and body and be born into the family of God and the kingdom of God. So it's a glorious event, and that's, of course, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 and First uh, Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. And the Apostle Paul said in Romans 8 and verse 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present world, or time, are not worthy to be compared to the glory, to the glory which shall be revealed in us. But we are now engaged in a lifetime of overcoming, anticipating that glory. And we learn that lesson through the Days of Unleavened Bread when we are told that, yes, we must be overcoming Satan, self, and society. We must be replacing the leaven of malice and wickedness with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We're replacing human nature with divine nature, and it takes a lifetime to do that. So every day we are striving to overcome, and we've heard many inspiring sermons on overcoming and uh, overconquering selfishness and sin. So today we're going to explore one of those major keys to overcoming uh, so that we can grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ and be ready for the seventh trumpet and for our birth into the kingdom of God and the family of God. We must be able to recognize and act upon the difference between human vanity and godly values. I'll just repeat that. We must be able to recognize and act upon the difference between carnal human vanity and godly value. The title of the sermon today is Value or Vanity? Question mark. Vanity is anything that's not lasting. It's temporary. Our bodies are temporary. And we're very temporary even beyond that. But God gives us the gift of eternal life when we accept him and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As John 16, John 3.16 points out that we shall not perish but have the gift of eternal life. Vanity is everything that is temporary. Turn in your Bible to uh, Psalm 38. Uh, this is Psalm 38, I believe it's 39. Psalm, Psalm 39. I hope you have this marked in your Bible because it's one of the key lessons and truisms of the sermon today. And I should hope it will impress upon your mind uh, the reality of human nature. Uh, Psalm 39 and verse 5. Indeed, you have made my days, David says, as a handbreadth, and my age is nothing before you. Uh, my wife and I are octogenarians, as we pointed out, but 
uh, God says that's nothing in terms of time. Certainly, and this is the sentence you should underline in your Bible if you can. Certainly, every man in his best state, his best state is altogether or is but vapor. That's the New King James Version. Certainly, every man in his best state is but vapor. How long does vapor last? Just a wisp. It's here and gone in a second. The King James Version says, I like it better. Certainly, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. Human beings, apart from God, in their best state are altogether vanity. That's the reality we all need to accept. And, of course, I think we already know that. Because with Proverbs 14:12 and 16:25, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. So it's like a vapor, and his best state is altogether vanity. So how long does vanity last? Uh, let's look at verse four. Yeah, here, nearly every man walks about like a shadow. Again, a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. What does it mean they busy themselves in vain? It means that whatever they do is not lasting. It does not have lasting value. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And verse, you know, verse that was verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 6, but verse 4. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days? that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as a handbreadth. My age is nothing before you. And so we've heard sermons on redeeming the time. We just don't have that much time. We have a lifetime to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and to learn true values. We have several um, sermons on uh, vanity. We have uh, Proverbs, Vital Lessons in Life by Dr. Douglas Winnale. Uh, Proverbs, Vital Lessons of Life. Another sermon by Dr. Winnale, Pride and Vanity. And then a sermon by Mr. Rod McNair, All is Vanity or Is It? <laughs> Taking a course from the Ecclesiastes and Solomon saying, All is Vanity. Everything is Vanity. And boy, of course, we have some lessons from the book of Ecclesiastes. We'll be commenting on that a little later. Well, first of all, let's talk about the forms of vanity and worldly values. What are some of the forms of vanity and worldly values? What values are the world and schools and teachers promoting in schools? Are these values you want for your life? I hope you've uh, read Dr. Mr. Weston's uh, latest Living Church News. This is the uh, July-August a Living Church News, Fight the Indoctrination of Our Youth, a very powerful article, a very vital article uh, for the protection of our children. I'm going to be quoting from that. He talks, quotes from uh, Prager, uh, that is Dennis Prager, uh, who is an educator, and he gives this warning, quote, Prager recently gave this warning, uh, quoting from Prager, I have a motto. I tell parents, first of all, unless they have to, they shouldn't send their kids to college. Number two, 
sending your kids to college is playing Russian roulette with their values. Except the chamber with bullets are greater than the chambers without bullets. So the chance that your kid will come home and honor you, his parents, honor this country, honor liberty, are very close to zero, end of quote. Now, of course, there are some schools and colleges that are conservative, that are religious or are technical in nature and don't have those uh, subjective values being promulgated to the students. But how should you, how solid are the values of your children? And would they be able to withstand the powerful and deceptive arguments of atheist teachers? Turn to Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. I think we've read this in uh, sermons more recently. Uh, But it's so powerful and so fundamental to our recapturing true values and living the way of life God wants us to. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 6. And those words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates." Uh, Mr. Weston continues in that Living Church News article and concludes on uh, page 20. We are in a battle for the hearts and minds of our children. No matter how intelligent and level-headed our young people may appear to be, they simply do not have the experience their parents do. And they need you as a stabilizing anchor for God's truth. That truth upon which all real truth is based needs to be taught at every opportunity. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. So God's people are on a spiritual battle against the deceptive values of this world. And we need to fight that battle with the armor of God, as it shows in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, and particularly take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. <coughs> Solomon wrote the book on vanity. Ecclesiastes, the second chapter, we see several lessons from King Solomon. Ecclesiastes 2 and uh, verse 10. He was one of the richest men that have ever lived. And he wanted to experience life to the full. And so he experimented. What did he discover? Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Yeah, you talk about lust and greed. I want to experience everything to the full. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. And I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity... And grasping for the wind, there was no profit under the sun. But what did he mean that all he he did was work? We talked about later, uh, he was quite a 
quite uh, creative. He's quite an engineer and an artist and a musician. Uh, he was involved in what we would call having an abundant life. But what was missing? What was missing was the whole purpose for accomplishing those works. Ecclesiastes 2 and verse 7 continues. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possession of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. So he experimented with life. But what did he come to the, what values did he learn? Did he learn something that was lasting values? He was saying everything is vanity. Did he have happiness? Did he learn how to have the abundant life by true values? You know, uh, Solomon had uh, 700 wives and some of the children said uh, 300 porcupines. No, it was uh, 700 wives and 300 uh, concubines. But did that make him happy? His wives took his way as hard and convinced him to go after all false gods. Yet he still remained with his wisdom and came to the conclusion, you know, at the back of Ecclesiastes, you might turn there, the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, the 12th chapter. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, as a teenager, I thought I could get away with things, you know, but you realize, no, uh, God is watching, and everything you do, God knows. He knows your thoughts. He knows your actions. He knows what you're doing in the daytime. He knows what you're doing in the night. But uh, everything will be brought into judgment with, uh, with every secret thing, whether it be good whether it be evil. The New King James Version. The King James Version says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. The New International Version says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. The NASB says the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person. So again, test yourself. Ask the question. Here's one of the key questions and perhaps one of the key points of the sermon for you to remember in terms of vanity and values. Ask yourself the question, will this thought... Will this activity, will this action add to my character? Or will it take away from my character because it is carnal, selfish, or vanity?
And again, let me uh, remind you to take Mr. Wesson's uh, LCN article, actually the current magazine, no, no, that was May-June, uh, the May-June LCN by Mr. Weston, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And that's, of course, one of the challenges we have. But ask yourself, will this thought, will this activity, this action add to my character, or will it take away from my character because it is carnal, selfish, and vanity? <clears throat> so we briefly discussed some of the aspects of vanity and worldly values. God wants us to choose godly values that are lasting instead of vanity. He wants to live the true biblical values and to help us grow daily in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. So what we need to do is to, to identify carnal values and reject them. And we need to be able to identify godly values and embrace them. I asked my wife on the way here to today, we were driving on 4, uh, was it 285, I guess it is, 485. I said, what, how do you find true values? Without hesitation, immediately she said, God's way of life. I thought, wow, what a wife. You know, she knows the answer right away. What are true values? God's way of life, she said immediately, without any hesitation. So, we need to continually identify carnal values and reject them, continually identify godly values and embrace them and live them. Next, we want to talk about biblical treasures and biblical values. On what does the Bible set a high value? What can you immediately think of in the Bible that says, this is valuable, this is very something like silver or gold or something very... Valuable. Well, maybe you haven't thought about it, but I think some of the women have have thought about it. Turn to Proverbs, the 31st chapter. (coughs) Proverbs, the 31st chapter. And verse 13. Talking about the virtuous woman. Proverbs 31, verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is at night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservant. She considers a field and buys it from her profits and she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arm. <clears throat> so she is one who is very valuable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out his hand to the distaff, and she makes all these valuable, profitable things. So she is one that is a virtuous woman. It says in verse 10, Who can find a virtuous woman? What is her value? Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Now, I don't know if you like uh, certain jewels or sapphires or rubies. I love rubies. That's one of my favorite ones. But my wife is far more valuable than rubies. 
And uh, so thankfully, I think you women need to understand that, that that's one of the true values. The Bible treasures virtuous women. And, of course, the most common one, you could miss, you probably already answered the question, what does the Bible value highly? Wisdom. And where is that? Proverbs, the eighth chapter, is all about wisdom. Proverbs, the eighth chapter. Proverbs 8. And we'll start in uh, verse 17. Proverbs 8, 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice that I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, that I may fill their treasuries. So wisdom is valued better than gold, even better than than high gold. What else is valuable? Proverbs 22 and verse 1. What does the Bible value highly? Proverbs 22 and verse 1. Here the uh, New King James subsection has the value of a good name. Proverbs 22 and verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. <clears throat> that doesn't mean that you don't need you don't you, you cannot have silver and gold, it's okay, but a good name is more valuable than silver and gold. What else is valuable? I won't turn there, but uh, the subhead in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 says, The value of a good friend. And, of course, my wife is my best friend, and that tells me the value Ecclesiastes 4.9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. So there's a value of a good friend. And by the way, we do have a sermon uh, titled True Treasures. Uh, Mr. DeSimone mentioned the new website, um, which is uh, members.lcg.org. It really has a good search engine. So... If you go and type, put in the title of a sermon or an article, uh, it will come up. So I'm very pleased with the new uh, website. But still, and I've showed this to you before, that if you have a cell phone and you have a Google uh, a Google um, a platform here, I'll just go and say Google. I'm encouraging you to uh, refer to a sermon titled True Treasures. So here's my cell phone. I have Google, and I'm going to say, Living Church of God Sermon, True Treasures. Boom, came up with one second. So if you still know the title of a sermon, uh, you can get it on your cell phone within less than a second. 
Uh, that is not all sermons, but certain sermons, if you know the title, uh, you can get it right on your cell phone. Uh, I could just play the sermon to you, but uh, we'll, we'll let it go. So, again, we're very thankful for the <clears throat> new website and hope you take uh, advantage of it. Proverbs 2 and verse 1. Uh, we could go on and on of these treasures, but uh, we seek, need to seek the true treasures. And Proverbs 2 and verse 1 gives us that admonition. Proverbs 2 and verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure, that is value, of my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, if you cry out for discernment, and you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hid treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the eternal gives wisdom, and out of his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I won't turn there, but I'll just uh, refer you to uh, Job, uh, the 28th chapter, verses 15 and 19. Uh, Job speaks eloquently about the value of wisdom. I, I won't take time, but I just really enjoyed reading that section. Uh, it says, the, the topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal to wisdom, nor can it be valued by, by pure gold. And Job says, and to the man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and depart from evil is understanding. And of course, when we know true wisdom, and I, that was one of my memorization verses uh, some time ago, I need to uh, refresh my mind again, uh, James 3, and uh, verse 17, I'll just read that to you. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of those that make peace. So we've talked about biblical values, what are valuables. A virtuous woman is more valuable than rubies, and wisdom is better than silver and gold. But what else is valuable in the Bible? Uh, turn to Luke, uh, the 12th chapter, <coughs> Luke 12. Luke, the 12th chapter, and starting with verse 6. And you're familiar with these statements of Jesus? Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God? God knows every sparrow, every bird, every insect that exists. And he says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Uh, we make light of that, but when you realize God is infinite, He not only knows the hairs on your head, He knows every atom, every cell, every muscle, every bone, every nerve in your body. And He knows every thought that you have. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. <laughs> yes. So, again, He's Trying to putting in perspective how valuable we are. I've shared this quote with you before, but to me, 
It's a very fundamental truth and helps me to have the right perspective in terms of loving my neighbor as myself and in viewing other human beings and be careful not to judge other human beings. It's a quote from Dr. Meredith's co-worker letter, October 10th, 2005. He says, talk about natural disasters. Even as I write, radio and television reports tell us that thousands of human beings have perished in the powerful earthquake which just struck Pakistan and parts of India. Tens of thousands of beings have perished. Perhaps none of these people were truly acquainted with the God of the Bible. But, here's the quote, Every human being is precious in God's sight. Every human being is precious in God's sight. That's why we have John 3.16. And you realize every human being has a potential of being born into God's family. So turn to Matthew, the 13th chapter, Matthew 13. And here again we look at the value of life. How valuable are you? How valuable is that of life? Matthew, the 13th chapter. It's at uh, verse 45. Matthew 13, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. And when he had found one of the pearl of great price, went and sold it, and he had, that he had, and bought it went and sold all that he had and bought the pearl of great price. That's how valuable our lives are and how we store up treasures in heaven. He told the rich man there in Matthew 19, 17, the man away, went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. He was told, if you will enter into life, keep the commandments. And he told them, you need to store up treasure in heaven. Uh, Jesus told the rich man, and that's in Matthew uh, 19. I don't have the direct verse, but if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So all need to realize, yes, that we store up treasures in heaven by living God's way of life, recapturing true values. In Matthew 6, verse 19, I'll just read it to you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Well, that doesn't mean that you should not be faithful stewards of the income. We have End of Your Financial Worries was a booklet uh, uh, by Mr. Armstrong in the Worldwide. Uh, God expects us to uh, put money aside, and we've had that in many articles, that you should have reserve funds uh, in your, your treasuries. Uh, so God wants us to be faithful stewards of what he gives us. So God puts a very high value on our lives. What is of high value? A life. Every human being is precious in God's sight. And you are more value than many sparrows. And, of course, we see later that the value you have 
is determined by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which is the greatest price ever paid in the universe for any human being, and that includes you, and that includes me. So we talked about the value of life, but we also need to move on to the next section, which is to recapture true values. We've had sermons on that topic. Um, the motto of Ambassador College was recapture true values, and followed by living university and now living education. Dr. Meredith wrote in the founder statement of uh, Living University in the catalog, at Living University and all we do, we challenge each other to fulfill our motto, recapture true values. By demonstrating our core values of leadership, service, commitment, integrity, excellence, culture, and creativity. These values are embedded in God's way of life as detailed in the Bible. Now, that, now does that mean that we reject advances in knowledge, ignore the arts and humanities, isolate ourselves from society, hold our culture in contempt, and eschew the sciences? Of course not. So we need to test all things to see whether they are following values. And how do you determine, how do you determine what is a true value? One simple principle is to ask, as I said already, does this action, this philosophy, this program, this relationship honor God? Does this principle have a value in honoring God? So what are the true values of sports? What are the true values of dancing, uh, music, and literature? Uh, Those are something that really contribute to the abundant life. You know, and you realize, how do you have the abundant life? Jesus said, I came, come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. How do you have the abundant life? It's when you're fulfilling the activities of life, knowing that they contribute to true values, which contribute to eternal character, because these are the ways of life and the values that will last for eternity, and they are helping you to have godly, eternal character. So you can rejoice in what you're doing. If you're playing basketball, you're, re- you're practicing the values, true values of basketball. I've mentioned this before, but I'll uh, write it again uh, if I can find it here. Um, Well, I'll come to it. I guess I'll come. Oh, there. Here it is. Uh, Mr. Jim Petty was a director of uh, athletics in in Pasadena, California, at Ambassador College. And uh, he and I would play chess together or play uh, bridge. Uh, Again, that's a card game, bridge. Is that okay? Yeah, I I like it. I think it's a true value uh, because it's helping challenge your thinking, your analytical skills. It's, that's contributing to, to godly character. So we recapture the true value of bridge. Uh, I do confess to you that I, I read in the Charlotte Observer the bridge column every day. But anyway, uh, Mr. Petty wrote an article for the Plain Truth magazine uh, years ago. And uh, where did I, I thought I had my eye on it here a moment ago. Um, 
What is the major purpose of sports? It was a January 1983 Plain Truth magazine. What is the major purpose of sports? Mr. Petty writes, For sports to be beautiful, there must be a recognition by all concerned of the major purpose of sports. That major purpose is to teach and instill true values and proper attitudes in those who participate. To teach and instill true values and proper attitudes in those who participate. The Creator God values the attributes of enduring so much so that we once came to this earth, appeared in the form of a man, and engaged in a wrestling match. The Creator values the attributes of enduring so much so that he once came to this earth, appeared in the form of a man, engaged in a wrestling match with Jacob. So, as the one important lesson is that you learn, again, that we capture the values of true, true values of sports. So how do you practice divine values and, and real values. There's one key, uh, another many keys, but I want to emphasize this one. Turn to Colossians, uh, the third chapter. How do you practice v- biblical values? Colossians 3, verse 14. And we realize that we have a Savior a loving, living Savior. He's also our great high priest at the right hand of God in heaven. And it's by him that we live and move and have our being. Colossians. Find it. Okay, Colossians. Uh, 3 and verse 14. Colossians 3 and verse 14. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So here's a biblical value. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And here's the key, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, ask yourself, Is this action, this thought, godly? Can I take this action? Can I do this particular project in the name of Jesus Christ? You know, you realize you, well, you brush your teeth. Well, that's for the hygiene of your your gums and, and teeth. That's fine. You can do it in faith and they'll realize that's a true value. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Jesus Christ. So you ask again, are my activities honoring God? Am I developing my talents to glorify God? And so I ask myself when I'm watching the British Open Golf Tournament, is this 
a godly action. Can I, can I watch the British Open Golf Tournament? Well, yes, I can. Can I do it in faith? Yes, I can. Because God gave human beings a tremendous bodily skills, athletic skills. We just, Mr. Petty talked about Christ wrestling with Jacob. And yet you realize here is this little, little golf ball, and of course one thing is that it has a diameter of, of 1.2 inches, and the idea is you try to hit that little ball without hitting the other ball, which is thousands of diameters uh, larger, that is the planet Earth. But anyway, you realize here, this, this individual can hit this little ball maybe 200, 300 yards away and get within maybe two or three feet of the, the goal, of the, 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 uh, the hole. And it's just amazing. And of course that goes on for all sports. You think about uh, gymnastics. Uh, what can the human body do? I enjoy uh, watching the diving in Olympics and realize here are these persons doing four and a half somersaults from the, uh, the three-meter diving board. And, of course, some of them put in twists and turns. How is it that human beings can do that? It's an amazing skill that God has given us. But we also know that when we do those actions, it needs to be honoring and glorifying God. And some have made the mistake of making those actions and those professions a goal or a God in itself. And they'll have to repent of that individually someday later on. So ask again, are my actions glorifying God? So Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. John 10, verse 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life. They have it more abundantly. So when we capture true values, we can live the abundant life. And we live in faith. If your action, what James wrote, whatever is not of faith is sin. So if you have... Doubts that, oh, should I be watching this program or should I be watching this particular program or on Facebook or movies or on the Internet, and you have guilt feelings, well, you better pay attention to those guilt feelings and really say, is this going to add to my godly character? Uh, is this teaching me something? You know, I, I kind of struggle, I confess to you, I kind of struggle when you... When you see these uh, movies about good and evil, and you realize here the, the hero is somehow conquering the evil person, I think, can I watch that? And I think back, well, in David's day, he had these, these great uh, men of valor. They, they had his uh, three or four great men that, uh, you know, killed four or five hundred men at a time. Um, you know, that was under God's purview at the particular time. And we really pray, of course, to be overcome evil with good, as uh, Dr. Winnell mentioned in the commentary in the World Ahead this week. Not Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. But we need to again realize what are the true values of sports, what are the true values of music. 
And uh, again, music is so subjective and something. We appreciate uh, Mr. Wolford's uh, Beethoven's uh, music. I wonder um, what uh, I'm going to probably interview Beethoven, uh, you know, when, when he comes up. In the, uh, some of it was Mr. Wolford did such a wonderful job. He didn't even have music. He played that whole uh, selection for special music by memory. But it's amazing what the fingers can do and what, what talent uh, people have to produce to God's honor and to his glory. What other true values of music? We could discuss that all day long and subjectively, but we did have in the Living Church News, May, June 2014, uh, Mr. Don White wrote, Singing Together on the Sabbath. He wrote, Aside from the spiritual application, you may be surprised to learn that scientists have determined that group singing can lower stress, relieve anxiety, and improve our general well-being. Group singing releases endorphins, those elation-building hormones in our bodies that are associated with feelings of pleasure. Among its other benefits, group singing simply helps us feel better. And he also, uh, Time Magazine, uh, August 16, 2013, singing can change your brain. But what if you feel that you are not a good singer? It turns out you do not even need to be a good singer to reap the rewards of singing. According to one 2005, 2005 study, group singing, quote, can produce satisfying and therapeutic sensations, even when the sound produced by the vocal instrument is of mediocre quality. <laughs> End of quote. So, even if you have mediocre quality, it still benefits you in group singing. So, we want to recapture true values even of music, sports, and entertainment. I won't... Uh, I just refer you to a woman's, a woman's uh, comment by Laurel Meyer on the subject music. That is special. That was uh, on our Tomorrow's World website. A woman to woman, you can uh, again uh, search that by Laurel Meyer on the subject music. That is special. And another thing that uh, some don't realize is that our Savior will be singing in our midst. We look forward to hearing Christ sing. Turn to Hebrews, the second chapter. I think some of you are familiar with this. Hebrews, the second chapter. And uh, verse 10. Hebrews 2 and verse 10. For it is fitting for him, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. As we look forward to the Feast of Trumpets, seven weeks from now, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren saying, I will declare your name in my brethren, in the midst of the assembly I will sing praise to you. So we'll look forward to that time 
when our Lord will be singing praise in the midst of the assembly and we become a part of his future family. We also want to recapture true values of entertainment. We have uh, on occasion here in Charlotte and other of our church congregations, uh, we call them fun shows or uh, music song, uh, song, uh, music shows. Uh, Mr. Rod McNair asked the performance uh, to comment on the purposes of entertainment one time. Uh, he read a couple of those comments uh, in a sermon, and here are a couple more comments of our uh, teenagers here in Charlotte commenting on the purpose of entertainment. One teenage girl wrote, oh, this is co-authored by two teenage girls, Overall, we think that the fun show is a challenge and an opportunity for clean, godly entertainment, which is hard to find. But when you do, it is incredibly enjoyable. And then another comment uh, by someone. That's when I realized that how I view the fun show as a whole. It's an opportunity to share our love with one another and to share God's gifts to us individually with the entirety of the congregation. The fun show is fun, yes, but it's also something more. It's quality entertainment that, that's as enjoyable to, to participate in as it is to watch. It gives me personally the chance to share something with everyone that I'm sometimes too nervous and scared to share by myself. Even if I'm shaking from adrenaline when I walk on the stage, it isn't about me. It's about all of us as a family and as God's people. It's about honoring the legends who have gone before us and carrying on their legacy by living God's way as fully as we can, even if part of my way is simply singing in the fun show or performing special music. I hope to do that to the best of my ability as I can, hopefully one day stand in the front of God's throne and honestly answer the question, how have you used the gifts I have given you? So some very good attitudes in recapturing the true values of entertainment. So one more challenge, and that is, are you recapturing the true values of humor? Ephesians 3 and verse 3. It's very important. I know it's one thing that has bothered me by some people. They think they are having good fun, but the Bible says, that particular approach is not godly fun. Ephesians 3 and uh, verse 3. Uh, I got the right answer here. Uh, sorry, I got the wrong reference here. Well, I'm going to have to skip that one. But verse uh, chapter uh, Ephesians 4, verse 25, Therefore, putting away lying, let everyone speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, to you give place to the devil. And then verse 15 of Ephesians 4, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head. Anyway, he's saying here that we should not be um, t taking slanderous language 
and be careful what we say. Oh, here it is. Chapter 5 and verse 3. I'm sorry, rather than Ephesians 3, verse 3 is chapter 5 and verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetous, let it not even be named among you as fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting. So we talk about humor. And you know, sometimes our, we hope you, that you're training our teenagers that, you know, when you're in a school condition and someone are laughing about something that's perverse and wrong, uh, do you go along with laughing with the crowd? Or do you stand up for your principles? No, you do not laugh just to be a part of the group. You don't let peer pressure pressure get the best of you. You stand up for your values. And you're testing the humor. Is it godly humor or is it perverse humor? And so God warns us here about coarse jesting, verse 4 of Ephesians 5, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. And then um, Proverbs 26 and verse 18. Proverbs 26 and verse 18. And this is one that, uh, that kind of disturbs me when I see some people trying to play practical jokes. And uh, they aren't so practical. It can be very hurtful to the person who's the victim of that practical joke. Uh, Proverbs 26 and uh, verse 18. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death, is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. I was only joking. No, God condemns that wrong kind of supposed entertainment or humor. No, you make sure that you love your neighbor as yourself. There's a book called Honor God's Gift by Ted D. Bonham. And uh, he gives some values of entertainment. So, uh, chapter 2. Yes, God has a sense of humor. And he gives the example of uh, Balaam's donkey and Balaam. And the Apostle Peter's uh, behavior for before conversion. And lists ironic situations. So again, how do you respond to offensive humor? Do you laugh to just go along with the crowd? Or how do you respond? So let's strive for clean humor. Let's capture the true values of godly humor. And, of course, we realize we want to live by every word of God, and we're pioneering tomorrow's world. We need to capture the true values of sports, humor, entertainment, uh, literature, art, science, industry, business, and community relationships. So we are living those values as we follow the, the way of the Bible and we're recapturing true values. So we discussed briefly about recapturing true values and what are true values. Next we want to talk about how do you value others. You can turn to uh, Philippians 2 and verse 1. We've heard this in, uh, I think, sermons last week. Uh, it's such a powerful Scripture, and should be a part of us, I've already mentioned it in principle, about esteeming others better than yourselves. Philippians, the second chapter. 
Philippians 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of the love, of fellowship of the Spirit, of any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like men or having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition, of course, that vanity, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. What is a godly value? You value others better than yourselves. Let each of you look on only on its own interests, but also on the interests of others. That is, you want to provide their needs. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who was in the form of a servant and humbled himself at the end of verse 8, even to the death of the cross. So we want to again esteem and value others. The NIV says, Do nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And looking to your own, your own interest, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. The RSV uh, says, or the English standard version, ESV, says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Of course, we are all, all are significant, as we know, as we saw that God does value us personally. Along the lines, of course, of uh, valuing others, we want to have the attitude of, of servant. Uh, and I already uh, mentioned the uh, January, uh, I mean the May-June Living Church News, the article on How May I Help You. That was also a sermon uh, January 11th, 2020. And uh, Dr. Meredith wrote an article on servant leadership years ago in the Living Church News January, February 2015, titled Loyalty, Unity, and Servant Leadership. He writes, It has always been encouraging to see that far more leading ministers came with us as we started global and now Living Church of God than went with any other organization. All of them believe in the correct form of government described clearly in the Bible not just, quote, government from the top down, end of quote, but as I have emphasized dozens of times over the years, the approach of servant leadership in how we administer that government. I am sure all of you older brethren can see that in our ministry. A servant leadership is the one way that we value others. A servant leadership involves outgoing concerns. I'll just read this, Galatians 6, verse 10. I won't turn there. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. So we love our neighbors, even those who are not church members. We do do as we have opportunity. So do we really esteem, value others more significant than ourselves? And who is our neighbor? Of course, the parable of the Good Samaritan. When Jesus said, well, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. 
And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. So that lesson applies to all of us. So again, remember what Dr. Meredith said, that every human being is precious in God's sight. We should value others more significant than ourselves. So we value others, but how does God value us? How does God value you? How valuable are you? Are you worth anything? So in just seven weeks, again, we'll be observing the Feast of Trumpets on September 7th, 2021. And one of the greatest lessons of trumpets teaches us to prepare for the great resurrection in our birth into the kingdom of God. And, of course, God values each and every one of us looking forward to that great event when we're born into the kingdom of God. And we prepare by growing in godly character. So how valuable is human life? And how valuable is it compared to animal life? Well, uh, back up just a minute. How much are you worth in your physical body? Years ago, it was like $2.37, but I, I Googled that this morning and asked, How much are we worth in our body based on chemical composition? Answer, explanation. 99% of the mass of the human body consists of six elements. Oxygen, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, calcium, and phosphorus. They are worth about $576. All the other elements taken together are worth only about $9 more. So your total value uh, based on chemical composition is $576 plus 9, or $585. So you want to know how much you're worth uh, chemically. Uh, Just $585. But that's not the value God puts on us. He puts a great value on us. And, of course, Mr. Armstrong wrote in the book of a mystery of the ages. He asked the question, what is the greatest value of human life? And this is what he's talking about, not just spiritual life, but of, of human life. And on page 105, Mr. Armstrong describes the difference between animal life, animal brain, and human mind. And, of course, he quotes 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And so is what he's saying that the human spirit in mortal man makes possible a direct contact from the great Spirit God. There is no direct channel of communication between the dumb animal brain and the mind of the Supreme God. Mr. Armstrong writes in The Mystery of the Ages, page 107, Meditate on this. We humans sometimes speak of how wonderful, how, how wonderfully God made man with his brain and the marvelous physical composition of the body all functioning together. But without this spirit imparting the power of intellect to the brain and also opening a channel of direct communication with the mind of great God, man would be more, no more than a dumb brute. But with the spirit in man, man's creation becomes all the more awesome to contemplate. 
It is also the human spirit of man that makes it possible for man to be united with God so that man may be begotten by God, by God's spirit, uniting with the human spirit, thus impregnating the human person as a child of the supreme God. The real value of human life then lies solely within the human spirit combined with the human brain. It should be stated at once that the human spirit is not perceived by the most highly educated psychologist, yet it is the very essence of the human mind. So God gives us this wonderful truth and wonderful perspective that we can be born into his family and grow in spiritual character and recapture true values. We already quoted the scripture from Matthew 6 and verse 25 that you are more valuable uh, than many sparrows. And he says that again in Luke, the 12th chapter. And remember John 3.16, how valuable you are. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Mr. Weston wrote in his booklet, John 3.16, the following, on page 15. God gave his Son on behalf, our behalf because he loved us. There is nothing we can do to earn that love or repay God for that precious sacrifice, 1 Peter 1, verses 17 through 19. Yet we should not despise that sacrifice by failing to take seriously the law that brought the penalty upon us in the first place. To do so would be like walking out of the courthouse after being pardoned and thinking you were now free to commit the same crime that put you in the courthouse. John records these words of Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. John 3.16 reminds us that God the Father loved us so much that he voluntarily gave his Son to be our friend, to empty himself of his divine privileges, that he might escape death and have eternal life. Could there be any greater love in all the universe than that which is expressed on that Passover day nearly 2,000 years ago. So how much does God value you? He God sent his son to die for you and shed his blood for you. He paid for your sins, and he purchased you with his blood. In Romans 5 and verse 10, in Romans 5.10, it says, Even when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So God gave us the wonderful truth and wonderful perspective that we can be born into his family as immortal, glorified spirit beings. So what value are you? Consider who and what you are. You are made in the image of God. And God created human beings with mind power, with a human spirit, and not in a mortal soul. 
And so God says, you are valuable. You are precious in His sight. And of course, He tells us in 1 Peter 3 that He paid for us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The greatest price that is ever paid in the whole universe has been paid for you. That's how valuable you are. So God values us extremely highly. And when we look at the universe, when we look at the God's purpose of creating in us His perfect righteous character, we need to understand His love and His greatness and His kindness to us that He's creating in us day by day His, par- His character as we search for true values and reject the false values of this world. What are the greatest values of all? The most lasting and living values are the two great commandments of loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. Our values are the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, mentioned in Galatians, the second chapter. And realize that you are the highest value that God has put on purposes in the universe. And for us, the values in the Bible of a virtuous woman, of wisdom, of realizing that even God's work is one of the greatest values that we're pursuing in life. If you have your heart in God's work, you are placing a high value on godly values. So in today's sermon, we briefly talked about forms of vanity and worldly values. We talked about biblical treasures and values. We talked about striving about recapturing true values. We've talked about how you can value others and how valuable you are to God. So as we look forward to the fall festival season, let's strive with our whole heart to seek God's kingdom and His righteousness. Let's enjoy the abundant way of life by giving, practicing true values which are eternal values. And let's learn even more deeply the precepts of true values, the true way of life, and stand up for God's way of life. Uh, Resist the pressures of false vanity and false values. God has paid the highest price to redeem us. And remember, even in Galatians 2.20, the last part of the verse, he says, And the life which I now live in the flesh... I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To our Father in heaven, our Savior, and at his right hand, value you and me very highly. God wants you to be in his royal family and his kingdom together. But we must follow the example of Christ, loving our neighbors as ourselves, and esteeming, valuing others better than ourselves. We reject the way of vanity and the false values of the world. So let's do God's work, recapture true and lasting values, and then when we do that, we can teach others in tomorrow's world the priceless, lasting values and the life that will give eternal life forevermore. So let's practice godly values 
and reject the false values of this world.